Welcome everyone. I'm Sue Barber, author, former IT director for a Fortune 500 company, turn executive coach, and this is the Visibility Factor podcast, where we explore how to raise your visibility and play bigger at work and in life. We'll explore key topics and welcome guests that help you shift your thinking about yourself so you can see new possibilities for your leadership. I'm on a mission to create a visibility movement for leaders to show their value and be seen for their true talent. Are you ready to take the next step towards a higher level of visibility for yourself? Let's go. Hi everyone, this is Sue Barber. I just wanted to give you a quick intro to this episode because due to some connectivity issues that we had, there are some noises throughout the episode. But the content was so amazing that I did not want to re-record it and then lose any of that good content for you. So I hope you'll understand. We definitely always try to make sure that we mitigate that wherever possible, but sometimes those things are beyond our control. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Thanks. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Visibility Factor podcast. I am so excited today to introduce my guest, Sue Firth. We actually met on a podcast exchange, and so I was on her podcast, I think it was a couple weeks ago now. So I'm very excited to introduce her to all of you. She is super smart and just has a lot of good insights. So Sue, I'm going to let you introduce yourself, and uh, then we'll get started with some questions. Oh, thank you. That was a really great one. Thank you. That always makes me laugh because it kind of makes me feel like I've got to live up to that now. (laughs) (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) Oops. No pressure. (laughs) Exactly. Yes, so you already know my my name is Sue Firth. I'm a business psychologist and we're basically a hybrid of a couple of different skills. So because the psychology part gets to work such a lot with people, we get a lot of insights about how people think and think, think and, um, and all the stuff to do with how they approach things and whether that's good, bad or could be improved. And business, we spend a lot of time in business consulting, but also working with businesses, directing them strategically and operationally. And when you put both of them together, it makes really a very suitable, useful sort of set of skills to offer business, really. I love that because when I read your bio, I have never heard of a business psychologist before. So (laughs) I love that you do that. So how do you think that helps you show up differently because you have that title? And how do you think your clients see you differently because of that? Oh, I think that's a great question. I, I'd be very frank with you. I don't think it helped me in my early years when I was first starting out, because I think if anything, it just got in the way because lots of people didn't really know what it was I did. And also, I think they were supremely put off by the reference to psychology or being a psychologist. I think it got mixed up with being a psychiatrist or something like that. And they all thought they'd be analyzed to death. So I've, I kind of, I started to develop some humor around it. You know, that's okay. It's all right. I'm, I'm not going to analyze you to death and I'm not wheeling in my bed so you can lie down either. Um, and, you know, maybe I just thought that was meant to be funny. But I think, I think genuinely it was clunky and quite difficult to start, in which case I did have to develop a good sense of humor, a thick skin, and an ability to talk about the subject matter rather succinctly. And I would recommend that to anybody. I think I know we now call it an elevator pitch. I don't really worry about it to that degree. But I think if you can summarize what it is that you do and you can say it in a few significant sentences, I think people always value it because then they can get a handle on it very quickly. I think that would be the first point. And therefore, when it comes to business, really, they now work out. I am a performance coach. And I am a psychologist who supports them. I'm a professional speaker. So if they ask me for one, there's there's usually a double benefit in there. And it, it's mostly because I took up certain topics 
that I felt would be useful to them. So it's really the development of those topics and staying abreast of the applicability or relevance of those topics that also helps you a lot. Right. And then ultimately, they just care that you can help them with whatever challenge they're yeah, facing, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I started mine with, I'm an expert in stress. And then that morphed to, I now understand how to help people cope with change. And then that developed into resilience. And I think that's what I mean when I say it progressed over time mm-hmm. to relevant subjects that business need help with. Yeah, I think that makes total sense. Um, so in the world we're in, we're all dealing kind of post-pandemic to some extent. It's still existing in, in many ways. Um, how do you feel like people are handling this in your clients and the people that you're working with in terms of stress and where they're at with anxiety and those types of challenges? Uh, it's a, Again, it's, it's very varied. I mean, there are some businesses that were only partially affected by it, probably because of the suitability or relevance of what they're offering. And therefore, they were still able to stay in business. And there were some actually that just ratcheted it up to just, you know, amazing levels. For example, like a certain company that delivers things the next day, you know, they're like an example of how they they capitalized on the back of of, um, COVID. Then you get the understandable struggles, for example, within the travel industry and so forth. There are certain there are certain organizations and certain sectors that have just been catastrophically damaged. They are recovering and they're in the process of recovering. And I think what it 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 comes across really as a very simple tool, which isn't meant to be demeaning. If you can batten down the hatches, meaning as expression means take it in bite-sized chunks and you shorten them and shorten them depending on how much stress you're under, what you do is get people to focus, right? This is what we need to do right now for this next month. And then that becomes the next bite-sized chunk and the next bite-sized. You then actually have these different touch points that eventually get you through to the point where you're seeing improvements or progress. Sadly, where COVID is concerned, some of that resulted in reduced workforce, because they just didn't have the money or finances to hold up the full workforce anymore. And I think the other answer to your question is many people took to working from home because they were encouraged to do so for obvious to cope with the pandemic. We're now then struggling with this disparate team and in hybrid working practices, whether some at home and some in the office, that's now a completely different leadership challenge. So yeah, there still is a significant amount of stress and I think they're still adapting. You know, I always thought I saw too was whatever personality, whatever your style was, it just kind of got bigger, right? Because of the pandemic, because of the stress and all of that. So if you were a strong leader, you got stronger. If you were a weak leader or an insecure leader, those things showed up in a bigger way. Are you seeing that same thing? And has, have you seen it change at all now? I think I mean, you're specifically asking something which is really great. It's very tailored specifically to leadership style. And I would say that I've probably been quite lucky in the sense that the typical leaders that I come across are on more of the continuum about how strong they are. If anything, it took them by surprise how autocratic or dogmatic they now needed to become because when people are under stress, they default to approval seeking behaviors so they struggle so the more direct and directive you can become in an appropriate communication style i mean then the easier it is to follow somebody because at least you know what it is you want what it is they want how to do it what's expected of you and that matters if you leave people to flounder because they're struggling to work out i don't really know what you want i don't know what good looks like that's a lot more uncomfortable so if anything the strong leaders as you saw tended to drive, strive, and thrive 
in COVID situations. And in fact, many of them found the adrenaline-fueled first couple of months were almost the highlight because they just, you know, <laughs> weird thing to enjoy, right? But they really, they really drove that time hard. What they then found was more of a struggle was things settled down and then it happened again. And this is where I think they got more of a hit because they wear out. You know, they're humans at the end of the day. Leaders are humans at the end of the day. They look impenetrable and infallible, but actually they do. They burn out. All of us do. And this is this is really, in a way, the bigger theme or topic is what we ask of ourselves and the high expectations we've got of ourselves. And I think we have to be careful with those because then we can put untenable pressure. Plus, I think it's the length of time, right? I think in the in the initial stages of all of that happening, it was oh, you're going to be in quarantine or, you know, lockdown, if you will, whatever you want to call it, for two weeks. And then that two weeks turned into a month and three months. And then, uh, you know, here's where we are now. So I think there's the point you made about this is something we have to be careful of and not burning out and being able to withstand some of those changes and the length of time that they existed, which was way longer than I think anyone expected. What I love about what you first said was breaking down and into bite-sized pieces, because I think that is important for the leader as well to say, okay, what's the first thing I have to do right now? Not everything. What's just one thing I can do to move forward? And I think that helps people have a path. I would say you're, you're right. But I think that the reason why you're right is because behavior has to be sustainable in order for it to be successful for an individual or a leader, but in both cases. And one of the things that we do know about people in general, so that's anybody really, is that there is a value in your comfort zone. The comfort zone is there for a reason. It's a mental, emotional and psychological place in which you feel safe. Now, we talk a lot now about psychological safety in the workplace. And what that really means is, is it okay for you to live outside of your comfort zone, but for a prolonged period of time? And how are you given any help in order to be able to come back into it? And the value of being able to come back into it, even for short periods of time, is that you rest and recover. So the things which drive people either into or out of their comfort zone are kind of five points, really, four C's and an F. There's probably even a T as well. Are you confident of whether or not you know what it is that is needed of you and what you're doing? Do you feel that you can therefore cope as a result? Are you there by choice? Because whenever something is imposed on us, we do not feel there by choice. And do you feel that you have control of anything? And if you cannot control something happening to you, control the rate and pace at which you have to adjust to it if you can. If something is familiar or unfamiliar, it tends to drive you out. And do you trust the people who are guiding you in the first place? So this is the reason why your comfort zone is in place, four C's, one F and one T. But I would say to a leader who is running people and running their lives and supporting them, there are three things people still want, irrespective of whether they're in or out of their comfort zone. A certain amount of security, if you can't guarantee that, at least be honest. A certain amount of stability, so don't keep moving the goalposts indefinitely because they need a period to settle down and be consistent about whatever it is you do. So again, don't keep introducing new practices just for the fun of it, because actually all that does is just burn them out. So my guide genuinely as a psychologist is they needed the same things they did before. It's just you need to, you meaning a leader, needs to get your head around that. I have never heard that laid out as you just did. I love that. Is that like a framework that you use with people? Yes. 
Yeah, yeah, because, and it's interesting, really, Sue, I think you're going to be able to relate to this. I'm about to be asked to speak about change three times in September. You know, what does that tell you? That tells me that clearly everybody is struggling to be able to come back and what they want potentially. And, you know, I'm not necessarily a strategic advisor here. I can't say, okay, you're dealing with this, that and the other operational problems. So these are my suggestions. Mine is largely a toolkit around people. It's understanding the psychology And I think that brings me to the next point, the psychological contract, which is an unwritten, unspoken set of rules and expectations about what it means to come to work has changed. If a leader can get their head around how it has changed, then they will still come up with the equipment and the answers and the solutions to help people feel stable and secure, even if they do have to go through change processes whilst they try and do that. And the reason why the psychological contract has changed is because it's been changing for a while. It's no longer about the fact that if I come to work and I get paid, I will be happy. It's now a lot more complicated than that, especially if it revolves around hybrid working. So you still have to make sure that you stick to the three things that are going to make people feel at least comfortable. And if they feel comfortable, they'll trust you. If they trust you, they'll stay. And this is where we retain talent. This is where we can still manage to cope despite the fact that it's changeable. And I think it's asking a lot more of leaders in general, right? You know, in the past, you probably didn't ask a lot of questions about how are you feeling today? You might have said it in passing and just the person said fine and you went on with your day, right? But it's more about are you really fine? Is everything really okay with you? Are you okay, you know, working in a hybrid situation? Does it work for you? Does it not work for you? Those are things that I think leaders are being put in positions now that are very different. They're still being asked to deliver everything, but now they're also looking at the mental health of the person that they're, you know, managing or the people that they're managing. What advice are you giving people to help them with that? Yeah, that's that's super tricky. You're absolutely right. The, um, the psychological contract of being a leader has also changed. You're right, too. And that's the set of unspoken, unwritten rules around what it means to lead well. Unfortunately, it probably means that they need to take on an element of being a coach in their role. And if coaching and that coaching type style, which is asking questions, looking for listening to and waiting appropriately for the answers and then acting on those requests. And if you make a promise, keeping it, these things come with the territory when you are a coach. But it isn't automatically a natural skills or style for someone in a leadership position. I would say, okay, don't worry about it. If it's not right for you, that's fine. But make sure there are people who are managers within your business who can do that kind of style so that you communicate down to them and they soften the messaging. And in this way, they bridge the gap between your probably quite directional, driven, focused, more than likely impatient kind of style, because most execs are driven like that. It's what they want. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, To the masses who need to be able to hear it with a more patient kind of rounded touch points and bite-sized chunks. So you're absolutely right. I I don't think I know all of the answers. I think it's a work in progress. And I think it's all a work in progress for all the businesses. But maybe also don't be afraid about that. That actually means you don't have to know everything, but you do have to be a little bit more vulnerable and a lot more open than you used to be. Mm -hmm. I love that. I think that is changing just, you know, the traditional of what people saw a leader should or shouldn't do. And 
it's it's evolving now, partially because of the pandemic, but I think it was evolving even before then. Things like emotional intelligence, things that um, more transparency, being more genuine and authentic are the, the traits that I think I had started to see more of. And I definitely tried to emulate when I was leading teams because when you're going through change, people have to trust the leader that is going and learning all the information and what are they sharing with their people or not sharing with their people. And that comes down to having trust because I would say to my team, there are things that I know that I can't share with you yet, but when I can, I will. Because the more you do that, they know that they're going to hear it from you. Otherwise, they're out creating all these stories about what they think is going to happen, right? <laughs> and then you got to control Absolutely. all that. Absolutely. Yeah. We have a, a, a really weird one over here. We have an underground system, as you know, that's what most people in the U.S. would recognize as a subway system. And whenever it pulls up at a station, there is always a gap. And there's always this tannoy that says, mind the gap. Well, I use that in a different context. And I always say, mind the gap. The gap is what you create between what you say and what people hear. So if you say something, be aware of the fact that they will interpret that or filter it through everything they have ever experienced before you, including every other leader and whether or not what they hear, they recognize and whether or not they therefore like it, dislike it, it stresses them, it doesn't. Can they handle it? Can they not? So the honest truth is they're always going to filter it through their experiences of previous leaders. And unfortunately for you as a leader, it does mean that actually you can make an impressive difference to that or you can be exactly like everyone else that they've ever known, which tends to mean you'd be surprised at how they will lack the commitment or the inclination to stay. And in a way, really, this is where it gets tricky. You know, our airlines over here are suffering badly from the fact that the response to COVID was to have to put a lot of them on furlough. And then subsequent to furlough, they let a lot of them go because they didn't have the business to be able to keep them, literally the business as in the travelers. All of a sudden, we have come out of COVID and it's like 90% of the populace within the UK all want to go on holiday all at the same time. Now we haven't got the ground crew, the manual handlers, the you name it, you know, the assistance staff. And it's a nightmare and they've been cancelling a lot of flights. Okay, so this isn't customer service as we know it. This then means that they get a very bad name for themselves. But you know what? The whole process is a journey. We do not have the answers. We have never been through this before. We don't have everything and our ducks in order yet. But I think as you just so beautifully articulated, be transparent and open and honest to the best of your ability. When we have worked it out, we will ask you for your help or we will involve you. And, and that's the, the only thing you can do. Yeah, it's the honesty piece that I just think a lot of people are afraid of. And to your point earlier about they want to have all the answers. I think, you know, when you're in a leadership position, at least I thought too, when I started my first one, I had to know everything. I, you know, I had this new title. I should know all the answers, which was crazy and not true. Uh, so I had to learn that for myself. But I think a lot of leaders still live with that story that they have to know everything. And it's okay to say you don't know. And it's okay to say we're figuring it out. And sometimes that's all people just need to know is that it's actually being looked at not that you have the answer. Mm. That's the important part. Mm. Uh, and I think that that's beautifully expressed, if I may, because I sound like I'm being pedantic, which is not my intention. I would say be honest with the piece you've just shared, which is we're figuring it mm -hmm. out. 
the only difficulty which makes it a full-on public relations statement that you feel like you're always on, you know, on show is it's tricky if you say we don't have the answers because that will mind the gap. That That's will right. mean people will fill the gap because they fill the gap with fear wherever they don't have the facts. And and you're so right. But equally, it means, you know, if you if you phrase something don't phrase it just because you think you might know best. I mean, if, if you see what I mean, there are some royals over here, as you know, you know, they've managed their lives pretty badly and pretty publicly. And one of the reasons why they have done that is because they've made a unilateral decision to go on the television in front of the cameras and make their own statements about whatever they think is going on. You cannot do that and come out cleanly because you haven't practiced what you're going to say and you do not think through what people are going to hear as opposed to what you think you're saying. Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean when I say it's not what you say, it's what people do with it that matters. A hundred percent, yes. <laughs> I think we've seen a lot of demonstrations of that over the last three years, for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, okay, so I'm going to switch topics. I would love to talk to you about imposter syndrome because you and I had some good conversation about that on your podcast. I would love to hear, like, what are the big types of imposter syndrome that you're seeing in your clients? Right. Okay. So my strap line where that's concerned is you are not an imposter in your own life. And I really want to get across to people very quickly that just because you demonstrate certain behaviors or have certain thoughts, it is not stuck for life. It can change. And it does not mean that you were born with some kind of dysfunction. What's happened is that you have learned certain behaviors. They're probably protective. They're wrapped into the comfort zone. They're based on fear. And they are understandably about your experiences. Unfortunately, though, this can turn up as three subsequent symptoms that other people are quite likely to pick up. So it's just this just an awareness piece that we're sharing with you. The top one is that your own thoughts get super stuck almost to the point where they get obsessive because you just spiral around sort of thinking I'm not worthy or I'm not any good or I haven't done a good job of that. I think that leads to in enormous amounts and huge self-doubt, which plays out in your behavior. And you and I've talked about this before where you don't step up or step forward or say anything. And the sad reality of that is you tend to hold back or sabotage yourself with most things. So even though you think something really good and positive, you don't actually say it. So I have to be honest, I've probably picked it up more in behavioral terms than I have in different types, which is the specific answer to your question. Mm -hmm. How has imposter syndrome impacted you? Ah, so I think probably I wrap mine into one of the brilliant answers that I, that I, sorry that I kind of came across in terms of another lady I listened to who I think was an answer for my situation in my own life. And you happen to have asked it in the questions you preempted me to to think about, which was what is it that you feel you took the most out of in anyone that you've ever you know has ever helped you a mentor, a coach, or something like that. And I think the the way my life was panning out in terms of showing up as imposter syndrome was m more about, I'd got what's called energetic maximums and minimums. And they were, this is a level below which I won't go, but I also put a ceiling on places where I would go, so I wouldn't go above it either. So if you look at this, say financially, how much is the absolute lowest that I need to earn? 
and you would have a set point. And then unfortunately, you also have an energetic one that you're working towards, which is, and how much is the maximum that I need? And so if you get stuck in between those two, you limit your life, you limit yourself all the time. And I think the biggest thing that helped me earlier this year when I heard someone say that to me was I realized, oh my goodness, in my business, I've therefore capped any potential success because I've told myself I cannot earn above this level. I must not earn above this level because for me, I didn't realize my behavior was playing out because it was related to my parenting. So the concept that money isn't good for me, money isn't healthy, money is an ugliness meant that I wasn't really charging well enough for what I was worth, which is another form of imposter syndrome because you tend to have huge self-doubt about whether people will think they're getting value from you. So I underestimated the value I was giving. And I think once I got hooked into that, pulled that out of my life, velcroed that off me, you know, which you have to be brave to do. <laughs> this behavior serves me. This behavior does not. That one's going. Um, that's And that's, you have to learn to work with the person you get left with and start using that person, experimenting, being out there, get the feedback, get that right, work it through a little bit, you know, and that's how you change. Oh my gosh. I love all of that that you just said, <laughs> because I think so many people have money stories in particular, right? And it shows up whether you are in business for yourself, whether you own a business. Um, and I think it also shows up as individuals, right? Like decisions they're willing to make for their own lives. Should I buy a car or not? Should I buy a house or not? Should I do anything, you know, take a vacation? I think there's a lot of money stories. Um, my coach d described it as you either, you either repel it or you take it in and adapt, you know, into your life, right? And I think that was definitely something that I have been working through myself. So I'm so happy that you shared that with everybody to hear. You know, financially, I think that's just one piece. There's all these other pieces energetically that we have stories about too. And I love that you use Velcro because that's what I tell people. <laughs> Whatever you're thinking, you have the ability yeah. to either Velcro that to you and hold on to it, or you can let it go. You can just take it off and let it go. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of one of the biggest things I said to somebody, and I didn't even realize it was going to be an amazing thing to have said, and I didn't mean that immodestly, it just came out of my mouth and it worked for her because she got this huge light bulb moment, was I, I prefaced it with, I just want to say something to you now, because she happened to be recounting a story related to her mom and the way that her mom had handled her and also a label that her mom had given her. And I said, OK, I really just want to say this to you now. Don't. <laughs> All that does not serve you. And she went, and I kind of went, has something just happened? I'm sorry, you know, like I, I kind of, I was looking around me a bit, a bit nervous in case I'd done something naughty or rude or wrong or something. And she just went, oh my goodness. I just, I never realized. I never saw it like that. I said, well, is it a fact? And she said, no. I said, how can it be a fact? How many restaurants do you run? She said, five. I said, you can't run five restaurants and not be an intelligent woman. So that label does not serve you. Sometimes they have to come to us to hear this, and this is okay too. Go for support, go roll your life out, let someone else listen to it, and they will help you work out what to Velcro off because you um, absorb all of these messages that does not make them right, does not make them fat. And I don't think I knew before I was coached that to even question those things, right? To even question my thoughts, I no. just was on automatic pilot, as I call it, and just going throughout my life with the beliefs and the experiences and assumptions and all those things that I picked up along the way, and I just assumed they were true. 
And so if you take nothing else from this listeners, just what she just said about listening and looking at your thoughts for yourself and saying what serves you. And if it doesn't serve you, let it go because you'll be so much happier, have so much more energy if you just let it go. Mm-hmm. I agree completely. And I think sadly, sometimes it does come from someone else. You know, it's not just inside your own head. I mean, we're talking about imposter syndrome and most of imposter syndrome wraps around your own thought processes, which you then take as written in concrete. You believe them. You have entrusted them with all the weight and all of the responsibility of being factually correct. So that's the first thing I would say is check out the assumptions you are making and compare them to the facts. Stick to the facts. The facts will speak for themselves. Have you done a good job? Potentially, yes. Did other people tell you that you'd done a good job? Look for proof or evidence that that job was good because whatever, you know, you brought in the funds or Mm -hmm. the project went well or the presentation was well received or something and compare that against what's going on in your head and then trust other people's opinion for the first time in your life for a while until you can get to grips and work out whether or not your own is to be trusted. It's because your filter's broken. Your filter is tricky, it's broken, it's got stuck. You just need to wait until that actually works its way through and until you can start to trust it again. Brilliant advice. I I couldn't have said it better myself. I love it. (laughs) So uh, you and I met on a podcast. So I would love it if you would talk a little bit about your podcast, the focus areas that you really spend time on, types of guests that you have. I just think it would be really helpful for the audience to learn about your podcast too. Thank you. That's really kind of you. Yeah, mine is called The Executive Edge and you did a great job, by the way. You're coming out for download this week, just so you know. So oh, sweet. <laughs> that's your episode. Yeah, completely. Yes, it's it's predominantly for the target market of executives, but that doesn't mean it, there isn't a lot in there of other, for other people. But I think that the typical topic, therefore, is wrapped around leadership management. But we've actually described it as skills in life and business. And that's I think pertinent. It can be, you know, we've got how to handle a marriage that's working or otherwise at one end of the spectrum right through to the other end, which is that how do you value your business for sale? So there's a lot in between, really. Mm. And I think where you and I covered a lot of, of ground and it was hugely valuable to people was because we talked about how to step up and how to be aware and how to be visible. And I and I really mm-hmm. believed in that as a topic. I think that's terribly important. It's, but it's not, you don't necessarily have to drive your life all the time. That can be exhausting too. And I think both of us would say that, wouldn't we? But you do have to know what it is you want. Oh, for sure. I love all that. The Visibility Factor is brought to you in part by the Choose Your Life Challenge. Do you feel like it's too late to do something new? You have a good life and your basic needs are met. You have a place to live, a job that provides enough, and friends and family to share it with. But it's all passing by so quickly, and it feels like you're running out of time to do the things you wanted to do. Join Danielle McCombs and Christy Allinger, co-hosts of the Opposite of Small Talk podcast, in a 30-day interactive experience that helps you to live a more intentional life. Through a combination of live sessions, video coaching, and digital social interaction, you will be guided through a series of ideas to explore your mindset and gain confidence to live the life you want. Sign up today by visiting theoppositeofsmalltalk.com forward slash challenge. Use promo code CHALLENGE4 
for a 20% discount. That's theoppositeofsmalltalk.com forward slash challenge and promo code challenge four. We're going to transition into what I call the rise up and be visible quick tips. And so these are four questions that I'm going to ask you. And I can't wait to hear what you share. Just based on what we've already talked about, I'm waiting for your brilliance to come out here. Okay, so the first one, fill in the blank. Visibility is? Okay, so I think visibility is working out what you want. But in the process of going for that, you might need to decide where someone's taking credit on something that you've done. And you have to work out whether or not to fight the battle. If you're going to fight a battle, do it by working out whether you're going to fight the battle or lose the war. Because the aim is mostly stand up for yourself so as to make sure someone doesn't take credit for something. But ultimately, if you don't think you're going to win, okay, fair enough, allow that one to go. But just be aware that if you do, that could have an implication for the next one that comes along from which they will probably learn it's okay to take it off you. So my tip would definitely be take the credit back wherever you can, make sure you stand up for yourself. Do you have advice or a tip that you could share with the listeners on what you have done to be visible? Uh, I would say that I think I have been very strong in conviction, but not aggressive. So I think I am strong and confident, and I think I've learned to be. So I've made a lot of mistakes along the way. I think I've learned to be a speaker. And I would say to you that being a speaker gives you a platform opportunity to act. I am without doubt a failed actress. There is absolutely every possibility that I will never be on the stage, but I am in a way on the stage. And the beauty of being a speaker is, you know what it is that you want to say, but you don't have to say it the same way every time. So it's not like having to sing, you can fluff. You know, you can stumble as long as you make your point at the end of it. So you learn to make points quite succinctly. You learn to stand up in front of other people and be in the spotlight, which is a fairly uncomfortable experience otherwise. And I think that's also the reason why I started the podcast. Can you believe that being a professional speaker, I waited months and months before I actually used audio as my preferred medium. I actually chose to write instead and I've written books instead. And I would say that was nuts because this really is what I do. Right, I just think the connection with you, no like and trust is there and just you're genuine. You are so genuine and so smart. I told you guys at the beginning, she's a smart person and I learn so much every time I talk to her. Thank you. So what is the one piece of leadership career advice that you received that helped you the most? Yeah, I would I would still say it's about these energetic minimums and maximums, which I think has really helped me work out what is it that I'm sending out there energetically and why do I get uncomfortable once I start making a certain amount of money or making a certain amount of success? And I think I, I've ended up questioning, OK, am I not comfortable with success then? And, you know, that's kind of just ended up making me wonder why, because if I can stand on the stage and be visible and have everybody watch me, why is it that I can't stand up and own the fact that success is okay? So it it, it did make me question, do I feel there's a level of ugliness or discomfort around being well known or being successful? And so I would say the the biggest thing that you've probably really got to do is be brave. You've just got to be your own version of branded brave. 
and it's and it's okay. And you do it your way is the other bit which I think is very important. I know it's been said a million times, but what you are passionate about is what will come across. And the final thing, genuinely, sorry, there's a few, is what you focus on grows. So if you focus on your negatives, your downsides, your weaknesses, your mistakes, your problems, that's what you will see. And as you look back over your life, that's what you will see. So that's the final thing. I do not look back unless to learn. I look forward. I always set goals and I tell myself, okay, girl, if you didn't like that, then tomorrow you start with some doing something better. And, and this is just the way I, I always do things. So I try and dump whatever does not serve me so that I can set another goal and I go for it again, even if I do have to learn from the process. And I think showing up that way just allows you to stop comparing, right? Because you're you're in a place where you can make mistakes, you can experiment. And I, I think it's interesting you brought up the success piece because I think a lot of people fear failure, but there's also a lot of people that fear success. And standing out Absolutely. in the spotlight and all of that, I think, is part of, of the challenge for people. Yeah. 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 If I may, um, I work out not only for myself, but also I think there were quite a few people I've discussed this with, leaders included. There are three fears, really. There are two that you're born with and three you learn. The two that you're born with are always the two that come with being a baby. So there's a fear of loud noises. They tend to do this in a kind of panic and they tend to fear falling over. So when they fall over on their face, obviously they give it one of these and then they start to cry. That's what a baby experienced. By the time you start growing up to be a teenager or an adult, the two classics are fear of failure and fear of rejection. Obviously, they come with the territory of growing up. But there is absolutely no doubt that the third one is the territory of ultra high achievers or UHAs, as we call them. And that is where a potentially imposter syndrome lives because it is the relationship between Another third fear, which is the fear of maintaining your own success. There's absolutely no doubt that a lot of high achievers will experience that one really more than any others when you when you work through it with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely have seen that for myself at times and um, and clients as well. It's and it's hard because they think, why would I not want to be successful? Why would, why would I do that to myself, right? And it's it's a great question. You have to understand and kind of explore what that means for you. What does success mean for you? And what is, you know, causing you? Mm -hmm. So what is a book or books that you recently have read and loved and you would recommend? So I've always been a lover of having two different types of books. I read business books on one side because I genuinely think maintaining some kind of knowledge, information, and filling that gap and enabling me to creatively come up with new ideas, from the business books that I read. And obviously, in terms of the applicability of that for my subjects, this is where I will get a lot of my information than speakers. But I think my personal choice varies a lot. I absolutely love the, the typical kind of, you know, Lee Child book or a David Baldassi book to just immerse myself in. But somewhere in between is one that is very informative, but a piece to me because they fire me up, but they're not necessarily in the guise of a business book. And it's that I'd like to share with you. I really do have a lot of time for Gabby Bernstein because I think her book, mm-hmm. The Universe Has Your Back, I think undoubtedly got me out of a sticky place when my thinking was getting stuck earlier this year. And I think if you can read something and it has the ability to influence you and to know 
own trust who and what is going on around you and that the energy that you send out tends to come back but equally can be altered it makes you realize wow you know i have a lot of ability to influence what happens for myself and i think her book is a really genuine one i started with that one i moved on to amanda francis and if i can recommend people to look for her apart from your own book of course too apart from your own i would i would definitely <laughs> say go for it you know oh go for it okay so say the last one again amanda so okay so amanda francis the surname is spelled f r a n c e s She may be quite as well known, but actually, if you go on the hunt for her, hers is a a great deal to do with money. So she empowers women around money. Now, that doesn't mean that men can't um, do this as well. It's just that it happens to be that she's particularly spotted that women hold themselves back and they end up with some quite quite significant issues around money, success, therefore achievement, therefore being self-employed, starting businesses and so forth. Do you want to go on the search for that one? I, I can't say the title, but it's rich as F, and you'll work out what that is. And it's it's just, it is genuinely, it's a revelation. It is one of the best books. I got it on audio. It is just one of the best books I've ever listened to. The, the woman's a gem. Excellent. Okay, well, I'm going to check that out because I have not heard of her. So I'm so excited that you brought it up. And I, I love Gabby. I think she's, you know, got a, a lot of great stuff and I have her podcast and all that stuff too. So thank you for recommendations. I, I just feel like everybody has a lot of great books and stuff that they're reading and I just love to share them with the audience. I think it helps people get exposed to new things that they may not have heard about. So where would you like people to reach out to you if they are more interested in learning about you, the podcast, um, working with you? Thank you. The podcast, The Executive Edge, is on all the major platforms, including Spotify, Google, iTunes, and so forth. You can find me, subscribe by all means if you wish to, but equally just pick up one episode on a topic that you think is interesting because we now have something like 98 I think I saw that (laughs) I've really enjoyed the podcast yeah it's 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 coming on I tell you I'm not quite certain what I'm supposed to do when I reach 100 (laughs) do I you know do I turn it to I just start phase two Um, I don't know but it's almost like series two or something but yeah, me, my stuff, the person I am is definitely www.suferthltd, short version of limited.com. But I have a second site, which I still think is rather lovely. It's less frequented. It's me as a person. It's suferth.co.uk. That is very much about me and the coach and the coaching that I do, because it isn't all for leaders. There are a lot of young people who get stuck, who come my way. There are a lot of beautiful women who aren't necessarily in leadership roles, but they're getting stuck. I just, I think I have a homing beacon or satellite dish for pain. So if you know you're in pain or you're stuck, you know, it's kind of, this is, this is maybe the kind of thing you could bring to me and I can help. Well, I know that you are helping so many people. You've, you've helped me and you don't even realize it, honestly, just in the things that you've said, I just have really Mm -hmm. resonated a lot with, and I'm super happy that we met and that we've been able to have conversations. And now I hope to have more in the future. And I know that you're helping a lot of executives who need need your help for sure. So thank you for being on the show. You are so welcome, Sue. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for joining the Visibility Factor podcast today. And we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks so much for listening to the Visibility Factor podcast. 
Remember that visibility starts with small steps that are intentional and consistent each day. Be bold, be visible, be the leader you were meant to be. Find us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Follow us on all of our social media platforms, which are highlighted in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Visibility Factor Podcast.